Good evening, everyone. Thank you for joining us for our concluding session of our study on the armor of God. We have been in this topic uh, for the month of July, and uh, we've talked about the general themes of what it means to understand and embrace spiritual warfare. We've talked about uh, our adversary. We've talked about the atmosphere. We've talked about um, the armor that God gives us and the armory that we draw from. We spent a little bit of time talking about a daily routine, what it means to uh, put down the adversary and to put up the affirmations, what it means to put on the armor. And we took the armor piece by piece. And then to put out the alerts, we're to be alert, Paul says, watching for the return of the Lord and also watching for the return of the enemy because he is diligent to try to take us down one way or the other. When Jesus faced the temptation in the wilderness, he overcame the devil, but the Bible was so gracious to us to point out that he left Jesus until a more opportune time. So that great victory in the wilderness would not be the only battle. And Jesus wants us to understand that when we win a victory, it doesn't mean that we'll never have conflict again. We talked last week about um, uh, how the Holy Spirit plays a role in spiritual conflict and in the armor of God. The armor of God must never be relegated to our discipline alone but we must realize it is by the empowering of the Holy Spirit. And then we want to talk today um, in session four about how to have a good fight, how to have a good fight. You know, on Sundays, uh, we've uh, spoken six months about fight the good fight. And if we're warned that we ought to fight the good fight, we need to understand that it's very possible for us to get sidetracked and fight a bad fight, not just in terms of our performance, but to fight the wrong things. So we want to talk about how to have a good fight, not a bad fight. And we're going to read the text that we have looked to every week, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 11 through 20. Join me as we read it one more time. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. I know sometimes it feels like it is. And sometimes some people can make us believe that it is. But our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. That's the goal of spiritual conflict. That's the purpose of wearing the armor of God is that after everything's over, we're left standing. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. 
In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Now, what is this matter of having a good fight? How do we keep from being overwhelmed? Because guys, I want to tell you, one of the real traps of the devil is to keep you so overwhelmed with the bleakness and apparent hopelessness of a situation that you just, you're just overcome. Uh, you can get moved to the point that you don't even want to pray. Somebody has said very wisely that the devil can't, can't keep God from doing what he wants to do. So his plan of attack is to keep us from doing what we ought to do. And that's why sometimes we feel like prayer is useless. We feel like prayer is not worth the effort. We know better than that. And pressed into a corner, we would never say that prayer doesn't do any good. But what happens is we're so overwhelmed and so frustrated by taking up the wrong fights or by fighting in the wrong spirit that we fail to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. So let's talk a few points about how to have a good fight today. We're going to basically cover about four ideas. And here's number one. If you're going to have a good fight now, I'm, I'm, I'm doing a summary of remembering, go over those general themes Understand that we live in an atmosphere. There are going to be levels of attack, both offensive and defensive. We have an armory to draw from, and there is an adversary. Paul says he is your adversary, the devil. Peter said the same thing. Then we want to talk about, or, or remember rather, the daily routine. You remember we talked about how we do it. There's some things we put up, some things we put down, some things we put on, and then some things we put out, those alerts. We talked last week about the role of the Spirit in energizing us for warfare and energizing the uh, armor of God. So here's, here's where it begins to all come together. Number one, don't accept every invitation to a fight. My wife told me one time that, uh, and it was very wise, I wish I processed as well as she does, but this is what she told me. Uh, I was upset about something. I had been um, kind of riled up in my spirit wanting to defend the church and defend the ministry of the church against someone that had been very critical. And she reminded me, she says, you don't have to accept every invitation to a fight. You don't have to get involved in everyone's problems. You don't have to let everyone's problem become your problem. 
because there are people that it doesn't matter what you do, you're not going to be able to help them because they don't want their problem solved. They want their problem heard. And boy, is that a wise approach to take. Don't accept every invitation to a fight. Um, someone told me, uh, in fact, several people have told me through the years, um, and the first time I heard it, I didn't know how to argue with it. But someone said, if I had the gift of healing, I'd go to the hospital and just start at the top floor and work my way down, go into every room and heal everybody. And that sounds so noble, but I realize that's the very reason they don't have the gift of healing, because the gift of healing is a gift of the Spirit. And the rule that we have for all the gifts of the Spirit, including the gift of healing, is that we operate in the gifts as the Spirit gives us instruction or as the Spirit enables us. People that think if I had this gift, I'd do it this way are, are, are themselves witness to why they don't have those gifts. Because to walk in authority, you have to be under authority. And I think we have a tendency when God graces us with his help and mercy, we have a tendency to think that we're in charge and we ought to be doing the works that God's called us to do at our own discretion. I remember a few years ago while I was here at this church, I, I just felt like maybe I was getting a little stale and predictable. And so I prayed and I said, Lord, I want to make this pledge to you this next year. I am going to say yes to every invitation to speak or preach or go to this or go to that. And boy, I did it and I was surprised how busy I was. But I want to tell you, I made that promise at the end of December and by March, I was exhausted. By March, I was driving across state to things that I didn't really have a message for. I was going to things, I, I was I was lost in the woods one night thinking, how am I ever going to get to this church on time? And I did. But I suddenly realized that I had never really asked God if he even wanted me to do this. And I was reminded that in my zeal to be fresh and spontaneous and everything God wanted me to do, I had made a statement that I regretted. I kept it. I kept it for that year but I said, I'll never do this again. I can't go to every invitation that I have. I can't go to everything the church sponsors. I can't be in every place that I'm invited to go. I just can't do it. I can't do it for my family. I can't do it for my health. I can't do it for my time with the Lord. And the same principle applies to things that stand before you. Um, somebody said that to a hammer, the whole world is a nail. But we've got to understand we don't have to accept every fight. There's, there's an example in the book of Acts where Paul's ministry was interrupted by a woman who was demon possessed and she kept saying things out loud and the things were true but they were from the devil's timing and the devil's agenda. And Paul had the presence of mind to wait until his spirit was moved to deal with that woman. And then he cast the devil out of her. But you need to pay attention to the fact that Paul let it go for a while until the spirit moved him. 
There's a story in secular history about John praying against the temple of Diana in Ephesus. And he went into the temple after being there for decades as a pastor, as an apostle. And he rebuked the demon that operated behind the spirit of Diana. The altar was split and there were uh, great rumblings in the temple. And from that day forward, secular history says that, I think it was Ramsey McMillan, I think, um, but, but I've got the book. From that day forward, the cult of Diana began to diminish. And when he went into that place, took authority over the spirit, the, the, the altar was broken, the, the building was affected, and the power of Diana began to diminish. And some people say, well, why did he wait years to do that? Why didn't he do it when he first went to Ephesus? He was just one in a long line of dynamic pastors. Ephesus knew Paul and Apollos. They knew Timothy. They knew John. And Ephesus had spiritual dynamos that were in that pulpit every week. But nobody did that until John did it years later. Why the story says that John was moved by the Spirit that day to go into the temple and make that declaration. Loved ones, we are not commissioned to fight every fight that appears before us. Uh, we are not commissioned to do everything that presents itself because sometimes the enemy will keep us so preoccupied with smaller battles that we're not ever ready for the bigger battles. I think of Josiah. Josiah is one of my um, favorite kings of Israel. Uh, I, there are days I think I like Josiah even more than David. But Josiah died an early death. He died in his prime. Just living an average life, Josiah would have had another 30 years of ruling and reigning ahead of him. But what you find is that he accepted a battle that was not a wise battle. He went into a battle that was not apparently chosen by the Lord and he died an early death. And I wonder how many times we, we are short-circuited in our service to the Lord because we've decided that every time the enemy moves, we're going to take a shot. Well, you've got to answer that. It's between you and the Lord. There's a time, we learned this from the life of Jesus, there's a time to step away and there's a time to step up. There's a time to confront and then there's a time to go to a secluded place. Um, life is like that in general. Proverbs 26, four to five, it sounds like a contradiction, but when you read Proverbs 26, this is what verses four and five, this is what verse four says. Do not answer a fool according to his folly or you yourself will be just like him. See, Proverbs 26, 4 says, if somebody foolish makes a foolish statement, don't try dealing with them or you'll end up looking as foolish as they do. But what, was the, what does the very next verse say? Answer a fool according to his folly. Now, I've just been told not to answer him according to his folly. But the next verse says, answer a fool according to his folly, or he'll be wise in his own eyes. In other words, the wise man said, there is a time, 
that you just walk away from silly fights. He said, there's a time you step into that same fight because there's one setting where you'll just be made to look as foolish as the person that wants to argue. But he says, there's a time if you don't stand up to that foolishness, they'll be reinforced in it and they'll think they're right. What's the difference? Wisdom, context, the leading of the Holy Spirit. Jesus put it this way. In other words, there's a time to deal with a fool and there's a time to walk away from a fool. That's true in the spiritual realm as well. Um, in the New Testament, Jesus put it this way. He said, I only do what I see Father doing. I only say what I hear Father saying. In our English vernacular, what Jesus was saying is, I only do the things, I only say the things, I only go to the places that Father tells me to go. Um, that was Jesus' pattern. Um, and it's that pattern that helps us understand passages like um, uh, 1 John 5, 14, 15. Now, this is the second principle, by the way. Number one is don't accept every invitation to a fight. Principle number two is find out what Father is saying. Find out what the Father is showing you. That was the pattern of Jesus. And 1 John 5, 14 and 15 says, This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. So the Bible says if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And then it goes on to say, and we know in verse 15 that he hears us. If we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. Now, there's a lot of people that say, all I have to do is pray the will of God and I'm guaranteed a yes. And then they say these great general terms like we know it's God's will for everybody to be saved. That's true. We, we, we know it's God's will for people to be happy and not sad. I believe that's true. We know it's God's will to be, uh, for people to be well and not sick. That's, certainly a loving father doesn't want any of us to be sick. But that is so layered in this life. Issues of wellness and riches and all of these things are so layered and so contingent upon other things. We know what the perfect will of God is. It, God's not willing that any should perish. We know that. God is not willing that any should perish. But the New Testament confirms in more than one place that those who do not believe will perish, all things being equal. In other words, some will have eternal life, some will experience eternal death, but the perfect will of God is for everybody to be saved. Some people take only that truth without the rest of the truth, and they teach what's called universalism, the idea that everybody from the devil right on down will end up getting saved. That's not what the scripture teaches. We know that it's the will of God. If God had... Uh, uh, the, the, the opportunity to just say it'll be my way or no way, then everybody would be saved. But we are in a fallen state where the creator God comes to fallen man, gives them a Messiah, and then the choice has to be made. 
So I can't just say God saves so-and-so and let it go and saying they have to get saved because God's not willing that any should perish. They have to make a decision. And there are qualifiers in regard to healing, employment. I love that girl and God loves for me to love. Love is of God and everyone that loveth is born of God, knows God. And I know I want that girl. Therefore, I'm praying for her to marry me. It's a done deal. That's a foolish presumption. And it's a dangerous way to pray. When we say this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we pray according to his will, we know he hears us. And if he hears us, we know that it will be done. That is in the context of a prayer life that hears from the Father. The confidence that we have is because we know we're praying what God has spoken us to pray. We know that we're doing what God has spoken to us to do. And we have to trust the leadership of the Holy Spirit. We have to trust the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And I know these are big, broad statements with broad swipes of the brush, but let's try to just kind of keep them compact and move forward. Now, number one, if you want to have a good fight, do not accept an invitation to every fight. You don't have to do that. God doesn't expect that. You don't have the capability to do it. Now, there are times that God will have you rest. And there are times that you feel like you're just swinging and, and every day is a fight. And that may last for a, three days, may last for a week, may last for a month, may last for six months. You go through seasons. But we want to be sure that every fight that we have is a fight ordained by the Lord. The way I do that is number two, find out what the Father is saying. Um, let me say that one more way before we go on to number three. Um, we have to be learned, uh, uh, we have to be learned, we have to be taught, and we have to learn that we are to be led by the Spirit, not by burdens. You will find that the easiest way to get exhausted in the spirit, to get burnt out, to get in over your head, is to be led by burdens. There's, there are so many ministries that I want to give to, but I don't have resources to give to all of them. So I have to be led by the Spirit, not by burden. I can pray for that ministry, but I may not be able to do for this ministry what I'm able to do for this ministry. I am, I am burdened for, uh, you know, missionettes and impact girls and, and, and uh, rangers and Sunday school and all these things, but I can't have a slot in everything. I have to hear what the Lord is, is wanting me to do. And God needs to say, here is this, do this, and then I can pray for this. I can have a burden for this. But what I do, I must be led by the Spirit. Now, here's number three. Ask yourself the question, what is the wise thing to do? Um, you don't even need to ask the question, or you, it doesn't need to be the definitive question, what's the right thing to do? Because that's pretty easy. You know, we know the right thing to do. But there again, we have a whole list of right things. Here's the question. What is the wise thing to do? What is God telling me to do? As I'm being led by the Spirit, 
not by a burden, I'll know. I will do the things that I'm led of the Spirit to do. I will pray for the things that I'm burdened for. Uh, I know that when my wife was um, an assistant uh, women's director uh, in a state that we ministered in years ago, I had a tremendous burden for women's ministries, but there was no way that they were going to let me direct women's ministries. I lacked the basic qualification, uh, but I had a burden and I prayed for my wife and I prayed for the ministry, but I did have specific anointing and direction from the spirit to do something else. And that's what I did. So every now and then you're going to have to say, look, I've got so many things before me. What is the wise thing to do? Sometimes I'll be faced with, Lord, I've got this, I've got that, and I'm not sure what I ought to do. So I'll ask the question, what is the wise thing to do? Andy Stanley wrote a book uh, years ago. I read it and it's, it's been years, but I remember how helpful it was. It was called The Best Question Ever. And then the subtitle was, what is the wise thing to do? Um, let me kind of take a little sidestep off that. You know, you can be in the right place doing the right thing and you can be 100% about right, but about that, but your attitude can make you 100% wrong. I have seen more Christians immobilized and neutralized through the years, not because they were doing a bad thing or a wrong thing. They were doing a right thing, but they had developed an attitude, a spirit of contentiousness, the Lord had called them to do what they were doing, but because of conflict, because of, of uh, personality clashes, because of policy disagreements, they ended up, uh, what they were doing was 100% right, but their attitude made them 100% wrong. I remember one time we were at a pastor's leadership forum, and um, it, it wasn't a question from me. I don't want to give you that impression. But uh, in the assemblies of God, ministers pay their tithe to the district, not to the church, but to the district. And um, that's the way it is everywhere so far as I know. But uh, we were at a minister's conference that was sponsored by another church that was in another denomination. And several of us were in the assemblies of God. And one of the guys brought up a topic that had been on all of our minds. We had talked about it at dinner um, because in the denomination where we were at, you tithe to your church, not to your denomination. And um, some of the guys felt like, well, this isn't right. We ought to be able to give our church, uh, our money to the church, not the denomination. Now in fairness to our denomination, that's how the district is Oper operates financially from ministers tithe. In that other denomination, the ministers paid their tithe to the church and the church paid a tithe to the district. So it, it, it wasn't a, as, as clear cut a case of black and white as you might think. But we just kind of were wondering, we feel we ought to be able to give our tithe to the church, not to the district. And the person who was the leader of the conference said, well, let me hear about this and give me, give me the explanation of the policy. And my friend spoke up and said, well, I just don't think it's right. I think my tithe should go to my church. And I, he said, not only that, then every pastor on staff, 
He says there are tens of thousands of dollars that go somewhere else instead of to our church and our church needs it. And the spokesman said, do you really think that uh, your tithe belongs to the church? And he said, yes, I do. He said, do you really believe that God has put you in the assemblies of God? He said, yes, I do. And he said, well, then it appears to me that there's only one solution to this. And boy, I was waiting with pen ready to write down the solution. He said, if you're in the assemblies of God by the will of God, and this is their policy, and you really feel that you're in the right place, then you only have one choice. If you really feel your, your tithe belongs to the church, there's only one choice you have. And he, we all were waiting for the answer. He says, you have to double tithe. And it was like letting air out of a balloon. That was not the innovative, you know, answer to defend our complaints that we wanted. This is what that leader said. He said, if you really believe this is where God has you and this is what they believe is right, you need to submit to that. But if you really feel in your heart that your tithe belongs to the church, he said, you need to do double tithe. He says, I guarantee you, God will make it up to you and you'll never be in a hole for double tithing. And that shut the entire discussion down because nobody wanted that. They wanted a case against the denomination. But you know, what I realized was what my pastor had told me years earlier. He said, you can be 100% right about an issue, about a doctrine, about a mission. But if your attitude becomes sour, you are automatically 100% wrong. And so that's why as you grow in the Lord, you'll learn it's more important to be humble and to be gracious than it is to be right and to be um, unopposed. So you have to ask, what is the wise thing to do? What is the wise thing to do? You have to ask the question, what am I fighting for? And would a change in circumstances make a difference in my attitude? Okay, now, now, now what have we got? How do we have a good fight? Number one, realize that there are a lot of opportunities to fight that will be presented to you that you don't want to walk in. Number two, so don't accept an invitation to every fight, okay? The only invitations you accept is when the Father shows you or tells you to go that direction. That's number two. So I'm, I'm fighting well when I realize I don't have to take up every cause. I'm fighting well well, when I do my best to make sure that everything I do and say is what Father wants me to do and say. Number three, I purify it a little bit by saying, what is the wise thing to do? I know sometimes when I preach a sermon, I just feel it. It's very plain. It's very fiery. It's very, there's, you know, this is a no brainer. But I, I realize that in my attempt to preach clarity in my attempt to bring the unadulterated word of God, I also have to be sure that I'm doing it with love in my heart. Um, my pastor used to tell me, and I'm so thankful for it. He said, if you don't cry regularly in your preaching, you're missing the heart of the message. He says, he says a man, I, oh, I love this. He said, a man that can preach a sermon on hell without weeping through the sermon doesn't understand 
the dynamic of what he's preaching. So I have to learn that I not only preach truth, but I have to preach it in a wise way. You know, every once in a while, somebody will say, oh, pastor, don't ever apologize for the word of God. And I understand what they're trying to say. They're trying to say, don't worry about it. Just let it rip. But loved one, it's never once occurred to me to apologize for the word of God. I've never apologized for the word of God. Uh, I, I realize I'm grossly misunderstood. I think I'm courteous and I try to be nice. And I don't think I have to kick people in the head to get a point across. I try to ask what is the wise thing to do? What is the wise way to communicate this? But I never apologize for God's word. I might apologize for feeling like I didn't say something well. But I want to go in wisdom, which leads to the last thing, which produces peace. I want to obey the Lord in a way that produces peace. 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 I had, um, I've had a couple of experiences where I felt pressured, especially when I was a very young man, I felt pressured into signing on to ministry. And the ministry was good. The ministry was solid. But an older, more experienced pastor kind of bullied me into it. He said, if you love the Lord, you'll do this. And I did it. But I want to tell you, I found out I never had any peace. I never enjoyed it. It never brought rest to my soul. And I had to learn to follow peace. Sometimes the peace of God tells you to walk away. Sometimes the peace of God tells you to grab hold and you've got to learn to follow peace. It's interesting that in the armor that we've talked about, the, the piece of armor that had to do with peace was the shoes. And shoes had everything to do with where you walked, where you stood, and what ground you held. The will of God is marked by peace. In fact, people that say, I've, I want to learn how to follow the will of God, follow peace. Because there are times you will feel that you're doing the right thing, but you lack peace. And that's God's way of telling you it's, this isn't the right thing, or it might be the right thing for later but it's not the right thing now, okay? So I'm gonna have a good fight. I'm going to first of all remember that I have an adversary. I'm going to remember that I draw from an armory of weapons. I realize that I am in an atmosphere of conflict and I realize that some attacks are going to be offensive and some attacks are gonna be defensive. Okay, that's the nature of spiritual warfare and the armor. Secondly, I need to set up daily disciplines every day. And I want to remind you the importance of doing this every day. However you do it, whatever your prayer and Bible reading looks like, you want to do these things. I want to begin by putting up the affirmations. I want to begin by praising God. I want to begin by saying, Lord, the day is yours and so am I. I want to begin every day with a, with a statement of faith that I am the Lord's. His will is my agenda for the day. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So I put up affirmations. I put down the adversary. You remember we studied um, in that second lesson about how the enemy, um, anything in your life, any thoughts in your life, any comments from your mouth that, 
speak of callousness or carnality or, or anything like that. We talked about those four or five C's, uh, confusion. Stay away from those things. Put down the adversary. Don't let him direct you. Don't let your conversations be conversations that you have to apologize for. And what's worse, don't let them be conversations that you ought to apologize for and don't. Okay, realize that we put down the adversary after putting up our affirmations. We will put on the armor. Um, it's important that I think in terms of, of uh, hope, that I think in terms of righteousness, that I think in terms of truth, that I think in terms of peace, that I think in terms of faith, and I think in terms of the Spirit, and all of that, as we talked last week, energized by the Holy Spirit, okay? Then we, we learn tonight that um, we're, we don't accept an invitation to every fight. We find out what Father is saying, uh, trusting the leadership of the Holy Spirit. We ask the wise thing to do, and then we learn to follow peace. Now, these four weeks have just been an introductory summation of the armor of God. But uh, I felt that it's as important, if not more so, for us to learn the principles of the armor and how to use the armor than it is to just learn what the armor's like. I'm going to say what I said the first week in conclusion. Be careful that you don't think you're armed and ready for battle just because you've bought a weapon. Uh, a lot of people think if I can just get a, a weapon in my house, my house is secure. Not if you don't know how to use the weapon. In fact, those that you want to protect, you can put in danger if you don't understand the weapon and know how to use it. So, Father, we're asking tonight in the name of Jesus that you would help those of us that want to walk with the armor of God. We need to remember that it's for the kingdom to move forward, not for us to destroy people. And I pray that you would help all of us, whatever we're struggling with, whether it's those general principles, whether it's the daily routine, whether it's the yieldedness to the Holy Spirit or just having a good fight, wherever we're struggling, we pray for the help of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. If there's anybody listening tonight, uh, either here in the auditorium or online, and they don't know Jesus as Lord, I pray that they would either get with the pastors tonight or call into the church, go to the website and, and say, I want to give my heart to the Lord Jesus. I want to have the greatest spiritual armor, which is the salvation of the Lord. We give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name and ask you to bless folks as we go in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you for being here and God bless you. Amen.